0: Hello, this is Michelle, and I have a warning. HR is offensive. And by that, I don't mean people that work in HR, but the things that we see and experience can be upsetting. So this podcast contains offensive language, strong sexual content, racial epithets, which don't reflect the values of this podcast, but are present in the workplace, and they're coming up in stories on this episode. So use your best judgment when listening. Thank you. One more quick note about the quality of this particular interview. There was some feedback, and it is minimized but noticeable. So if it bothers you, skip to the next one. The interviews and quality only gets better as the season goes on. Veronica began her career in a department that most human resources professionals work very hard to avoid, the Department of Human Rights.
1: A lot of times it was like Jerry Springer because many times it'd be two people in the room who absolutely hated each other. It could get pretty much out of control. We could tell people were very upset, very angry. I had to calm people down. I really had to pay attention to details.
0: Veronica transitioned to corporate, where she faced additional challenges.
1: As you know, HR, we're the middleman, and we do the dirty work. We're hated by leadership because, oh, we're in the way. You're in my way. I'm trying to get shit done. Get out of my way.
0: Hi, I'm Michelle Aronson, and welcome to True Stories at Work, where we discuss the best things about working in human resources the people, the stories, and the things that happen at work that we don't even know about. I'm a recovering HR executive, certified coach, and business school professor who knows that the best stories happen at work, from heartbreaking to heartwarming, from hilarious to outrageous. On today's show, you will learn how Veronica started her career in human resources We talk about the importance of due process during investigations and how good investigations can get to the bottom of unwanted and wanted sexual relationships at work. You'll hear a story about a senior leader who had an affair with a subordinate and the incredibly short-sighted approach he took to break it off you'll hear about a surprising twist in a sexual harassment allegation. At the end, you'll get to hear a workplace confession, something that happened at work that never made it into HR. This prank involves a team of engineers and a copy machine. So let's get started. Veronica, I'm honored that you came to spend time and be a guest on my second episode of my podcast. We're newer colleagues, so why don't you take a minute and just tell me your background, what you've been doing in the HR space? Thank you for having me on here. I appreciate it. So I started off in the
1: government space. I was a human rights investigator, so I was the one who would take the allegations of workplace discrimination, and then I'd investigate it. And then I'd also be the one who was drafting the allegations against the company. So HR did not like me. And then... I'd be the one determining whether or not there's evidence of discrimination. So at that time, I had to deal with all sorts of issues, everything from, you know, gender, race, anything that can go bad at work. And so what happened is afterwards, I was deployed for a year in the military in Camp Ossalia, Qatar, where I was an HR specialist. So I had to deal with reporting movement of troops that went to the general. So I did that, came back and thought, you know, I have government experience. Why don't I use that to help corporate America? So I then went into the HR space afterwards.
0: I've mediated charges with the Department of Human Rights. What's it like to actually work there? I did my best because I
1: was not allowed to tell the complainant, you don't have a case here. Technically, I was a neutral person, but many times the complainants thought I was representing them. I'm like, I'm not. I'm just taking your information. I will look at both sides of the story. And then I will assess, you know, and of course, I had to look at documentation. Now, if there was no documentation and there was conflicting testimony, it had to go to a hearing because I can't make that assessment. administrator law judge would have to.
0: What were the issues that you remember the most from your time in that job?
1: You're dealing with real-life issues, you know, sensitive topics in people's lives that, you know, for example, I uh, dealt with a lot of sexual harassment. This was way before the hashtag MeToo movement. And what a lot of people don't know is the government will take the case no matter what. The person can be lying. I'm very big on due process. It's an allegation. Doesn't mean it's true. Someone always has a right to their other side of the story. So if it's just he said, she said, or whatever it is, I don't know, I wasn't there. The other thing is you're dealing with the ageism. You know, I remember there was a bunch of older people that worked at a certain major corporation We're all laid off around the same time, we're over 50. The thing is though, when you're a major corporation, you have the documentation. It's a very difficult for people to win when you're serving a major company. They have all their dots lined up. It was hard for me because I, I really, what I want to say, you're pretty much screwed. It's gonna be hard for you to prove this.
0: I've sat in that room that you're talking about across from somebody who was terminated. What's your advice to like employers to stay out of that room or what can leaders do
1: to not have that happen? The major trend that I've seen over the years is that leaders, they don't clearly communicate and I think a lot of employees are afraid. They're afraid to say how they really feel. They just don't say anything. And so if things are left blank, employees will fill in the blank of the worst case scenario. And something that I think could have been easily remedied became a big litigation thing because leadership brushed someone off or thought they didn't have the time. And I think a lot of companies say that, oh, we have an open door policy, but then they're real busy and they don't really take the time to talk to someone. So I think they could say they're the best workplace. They can say we're a great culture, but at the end of the day, if an employee... A lot of them are free. And I know this because when I've been in my employee relations roles, they're like, I'm afraid I'll lose my job if I say something. So I'm just going to hold it in. And what ends up happening, something just blows up. They either quit and then they sue or then there's a class auction lawsuit. And I've been on that when I did go into HR, corporate America, they were being monitored by the EEOC for three years. So my job was to go into a brand new culture and make sure that they were being compliant. And- A lot of it is perception. It doesn't seem to be a priority for a lot of employers. It's about the bottom line. And that's the problem here.
0: I feel like in my role in HR, people would come in and say like, oh, I don't want to complain because I don't want to lose my job. What I saw it as is sort of an absence of trust between the manager and the employee because that same employee would go to somebody else and complain. So managers making themselves more available fills in some of the holes you talked about around absence of communication, employees filling in the blanks. All that stuff can really be fixed. And it isn't always work-related. Sometimes it's just trying to get to know somebody as a human being. You know what I mean? Like, how are your kids? Oh, I'm sorry about your dog.
1: Whatever it is, feels like that. I agree with that because these are people and I've been in places where senior leadership will not even acknowledge lower level employees. They won't even say hello to them. So there's a disconnect there. Why should anybody feel that they can tell you something that's really sensitive? Tell me a story like where you saw leadership really rocking. You know, you wanted some positive examples where leadership went above and beyond for their employees. And I really can't think of any examples where I think they did the bare minimal of what they're supposed to do, but anything that I would say is treating them like family or something that really stepped up to the plate, I haven't observed that.
0: Well, that goes to show that there's room for improvement. Did you ever do anything in the HR world where it kind of scared you? Yeah, I think there were
1: stories where somebody felt they were afraid they were being, you know, threatened with violence. And in this story, this person was receiving notes and it was saying, go home and die. And when I spoke to this person, he was genuinely afraid because he was out in the Midwest. He had just moved from the um, West Coast. He was African-American, his wife was white. And he felt like with his job, he's a target. And he just said, I don't know if I can do this job anymore. And what was good, though, was senior leadership was like, we're going to do everything we can to help you. They did step up to the plate saying, hey, we can transfer you to a new location. What can we do to be there for you? And during the investigation, it was hard to find out who wrote this because it was in a place where there were a lot of employees in and out. It wasn't easy to find out who did it. And then we never were able to find that out. So I just felt like this guy was genuinely afraid and he did end up resigning. And it was sad because he was the nicest guy. What I needed to do on my end as an HR professional, I had to make him feel safe. I'm like, you're here, our job is to protect you. I worked with the company's police, so we worked in unison, and I've done that with other companies. And I feel like we do have a double-edged sword because I could be the one who terminates you, but at the same time, on the flip side, I'm there to nurture you. I'm like the mama bear of the employees, and that's the part that makes me passionate about HR. I feel like you can have this dire situation, but at the end of the day, you come to me. And I have to make myself accessible to them. Like you need to feel comfortable and trust me and my integrity to tell me your story. So yeah, that was that was tough. But it also is a little bit of an
0: example where leadership did a good job, right? They were going to transfer him. That is a good job. They were going to. And that—that's yeah. a horrible situation. Yeah. And racism and threatening mm-hmm. and all of that stuff in the workplace, and it's so destructive to everything that you want to create in a culture. And so I think that is a very powerful story. What about the craziest story?
1: So my favorite was where this person was a leader, an up-and-coming rising star, and he was married. And he actually had a mistress, another employee at the job who was an administrator. And he filed a complaint against her that she was harassing him. Now, I think he did that because he was cheating on his wife and used this as an excuse. So what he did not realize is this employee kept documentation of everything. She had the Nike monogram sneakers that he gave her. She kept all the receipts of all the flowers he gave her. Now, this also was a high profile situation because she was the admin to the top person in this location. It was a sensitive case. Like everything else was dropped for this. And when I had to speak to her, she said to me, he shouldn't have been fucking me. So what actually ended up happening is that he got in trouble for lying because his integrity here, you're not becoming labor, saying, oh, this woman's harassing. No, they actually had a relationship. So. Of course, when she said that language, you know, I was like thinking, this is crazy. Like, he should have never done this. I think he was trying to cover it up so his wife didn't find out. But I've always told people, do not date at work. The second something goes wrong, they can use it against you and they will turn the tables. And he probably didn't think she would have kept all that information. So the leadership lesson there is what? I don't know what kind of training this person had regarding, you know, sexual relationships with people within the company, I think the message should have been more clear, maybe more training. I think it was just almost like a free-for-all to me. So I think people tend to forget, unless they're reminded of it,
0: they're going to just go and do it. If you're a leader and you're having sex with somebody at work, I mean, it's just a career-limiting choice, right? And I think people get powerful and maybe they think that it's OK at a certain But I don't know where it goes wrong, but it is a disaster, like you said, and a great way to lose your job. And preempting it didn't sound like it helped this guy because you're just bringing the problem up. Right? Like, Right. If you could have a magic wand to fix uh, leadership behavior in the workplace, what would you fix? You talk about a company's mission
1: and value and purpose, and I think they need to keep that in mind. I think they tend to forget those values, and I think that's important. There's no business without an employee, and I think they seem to forget that. They need to be treated like gold. I think it's very rare where you see that. It doesn't take a lot of money to do that. It doesn't take any money. And I think, what does it take? People, first of all, have to stop being so narcissistic. It's not about, I'm the VP or whatever. I got stuff on my plate. I don't really have time for you lower level employee, for example. So it really takes you stepping outside your comfort zone and go around, talk to the people. Why don't you do events or do something to talk to each and every person or maybe take some time, even a half an hour a day, like even during your lunch breaks, get to know your people, make them realize that you care.
0: After answering my questions, Veronica had one of her own.
1: What are you most passionate about being in the HR industry?
0: I got into HR because I was in the hospital and I had a broken ankle, so I was there for a week. And I had a nurse on the day shift who was like nurse ratchet. I had a nurse on the night shift that was like Florence Nightingale. I went to career advising one week before graduation and they go, what's wrong in the world? And I said, I was just in a hospital and it was awful. Mean people shouldn't take care of sick people. That's just not right. My personal mission for getting into HR was to improve the quality of hires in healthcare. Now I've changed my focus, where I really care about giving people leadership skills, and I don't think it takes much. Just like you said, recognizing them, getting to know them. Like this is not brain surgery. This is being a human being to the people that you work with, and just understanding the why behind what they bring to work every day.
1: And I wish there was such a thing, like you think of the old school Emily Post etiquette. There needs to be like etiquette for leadership. Like just thank you, no manners, greeting someone. Like this is basic stuff. What would be your like two lessons that you would put in your leadership school I think it's just showing respect towards another human being. That's one. The other is inspiring people. You know, you're a leader. You need to inspire. It's not just barking orders or, hey, this deadline's due. You might as well be then on a factory line. It's not a factory. It's a relationship. That's the most important thing. I think that's something that
0: they need to learn. I agree. There are leaders that would come in my office and they would be like, oh, I got this. I don't need your help. And I'm like, you're probably a pretty crappy leader. The ones that sat in the chair across from me saying, I'm not a good leader. I don't have what it takes. This is hard work. Those leaders were loved by their staff. Not only were they vulnerable, they were there in HR trying to improve. They were also continually finding a need to grow. They were really trying to figure out new ways to do things. So I do feel like that set people apart. Veronica, I have a question from one of our listeners who wants to know how to make compliance programs more interesting and impactful. Because I think when people hear compliance training, they think boring. So
1: yeah, and it usually is. I mean, usually it's once a year, it's some sort of video of something. I mean, I think they may get more excited, you know, maybe bring it up in meetings like, hey, here's a scenario. What would you do? There needs to be more group discussion about it because and it's a top of the mind. It'd be cool to have something more creative. Maybe make it comedic. I just think they need to do a little bit more than the bare minimal. Just like this, people remember stories. Like Just like this podcast, they're not going to remember anything but
0: the story. Okay, I want you to tell me the story about the train, the train conductor. Sure, so what
1: happened is there was a manager at a hotel contacted HR and said, I think that one of your employees is sexually harassing one of the employees here at the hotel. So when I contacted her, she's like, I'm not being sexually harassed. She's like, I wanted to be, actually, I wanted to be in a menage a trois with him and some other woman. This isn't sexual harassment. I want to be in this. So I found it humorous because, you know, here it's one side of the story, like, oh my God, this guy's doing this. But She's like, hey, I'm game for this. So I found it to be, you know, you didn't expect that. That was so sometimes you get really unexpected answers when you're doing an investigation. I thought that was hilarious. Humans are strange at work and God only knows what they do when they're not at work. Thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm really honored. And I think this is a really great value for people because I think a lot of employees. CHR is kind of like the Wizard of Oz. You're behind smoke and mirrors, but they don't really know what's going on. It's a big mystery to them. So I think this is great that you're making it more transparent. So thank
0: you for having me as a guest. The pleasure was really all mine, and I appreciate your time. Your thank you. You're a wonderful guest. Wonderful. Thank you.
1: We've all done something bad at work, but here's your chance to confess. From small wrongs like borrowing office supplies to simplify your back-to-school shopping, or snacking on a coca's lunch, to the major workplace sins, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll type. Here is today's Conscious Clearing Confession.
2: Workplace Confession 2. April Fool's Day continued for Zoe. The first trick went off without a hitch, so I had to do another. In this one, I was targeting a different group of people in the office and I went into the copy room where we had lots of different types of copiers and plotters, and I picked the workhorse of the bunch, and I put a paperclip on the glass and proceeded to make an entire reams worth of copies of just a single paperclip. And then I put all of that paper back into the copier so that every copy that a person made that day would have a paperclip image (laughs) in the upper corner, just hanging there all by itself with really no reason to be there. And I remember walking through that copy room close to lunch, and there was a particular group of gentlemen in this office gathered around this copier trying to figure out where this paper clip was coming from, and they're trying to take the copier apart. And as I'm walking by, one of them says to me, I think it's in the drum. Do you know how to get to the drum? Which I'm pretty sure is not a part of a copier. A mimeograph machine, maybe, but not so much a copier. And I left them there to work it out. That was a good one. That was a good one.
0: To be honest, I copied this copy machine prank, pun intended, on my own HR team in the mid-2000s when people actually use copy machines. I made 50 copies of a paperclip in the dead center of the page, flipped the pages, stuck them back into the copy machine drawer. The difference between HR professionals and engineers was obvious. HR threshold for disruption and drama was so high that my paperclip trick barely registered. There was no reaction. Our HR assistant put in a work order continued to make copies, and I imagine somewhere in the deepest paper file archives of I-9 documents, there is an image of someone's ID with a paperclip copy in the center.
1: Now clear your conscience by submitting your workplace confession at physicsatwork.com slash podcast.
0: Well, that's all for today's episode of True Stories at Work. Thanks for listening and thank you to Veronica for sharing her stories with me. A special thanks to my BFF Zoe for her blatant disregard for rules at work and having so many workplace confessions to share. Check out the show notes for resources on ways to improve communication and compliance programs. Join us for our next episode to discover how having bed bugs could cost you your job, we'll also discover what Mr. Rogers can teach you about leadership and accountability. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to be on the show, have a workplace confession or a burning topic you want discussed on a future show, please visit physicsatwork.com slash podcast and drop me your details. Stories are what people remember and how we connect, so please share yours with me. Thanks for listening. A haiku for Veronica. Veronica knows sex with your boss will always become harassment.